Welcome to the Show Me The Money podcast, unlocking property finance. Join us on an exciting journey into the world of property finance, where we uncover secrets, strategies, and opportunities that can turn your property dreams into a lucrative reality. Welcome to Show Me The Money, unlocking property finance. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Show Me The Money. Unlocking Property Finance with myself, Rose Sharma, and Mark Champ here again. Here we and are. We're joined, today, joined today by my good friend, Joseph Robertson. Um, we worked together at Lloyds Bank, but now is uh, uh, at Handels Banking. So welcome, Joe. Thank you. Interesting. So Handels Banking, it's not, a, it's not a, a bank that many people have come across or have necessarily done their work with. So it's a great opportunity to to learn a little bit about them, how they work. But tell us a little bit about yourself, Joseph, um, in terms of your background and how you've got to where you are today. So uh, thanks very much and uh, thank you for this opportunity. I've uh, been in banking for about 18 or 19 years now, I lose count. I started as a barrister's club years ago and then moved into uh, banking in 2004 uh, over my career, I've moved around lots of different banks. Handels Bank is actually my sixth bank that I've worked in, but notably, uh, I've been at Lloyds Bank for 12 years, um, latterly as a relationship director in the SME market before moving into Handels Bank. And I've been here about four years. I joined as a corporate banking manager looking after a portfolio of corporate clients. And about two months ago, I moved into uh, the deputy branch manager role here in the West End, where I run a team and also support the branch manager to run the branch. Fantastic. And t- tell us tell us a little bit about Handels Bank and then um, their, their background origins and what they predominantly focus on, the sort of clients you work with. Um, I'm sure there's plenty more questions that come out as well, but let, let's, let's learn a little bit about the bank. Very happy to. So Handels Bank, and, uh, you're probably right by saying you don't necessarily know a great deal about Handels Bank, and you probably would have seen our name uh, splash up on the CMA posters in every bank branch. Um, service is absolutely key to us. It is the product, basically, if the bank can define it. Our background is Swedish, and so Handelsbanken uh, originates in Sweden and then uh, opened up in the 1980s here in the UK. We've got about 160 or so branches, maybe a little bit over that now, across the UK, but chances are you probably don't really know much about them, and it's typically because Handelsbanken is a bit of a private bank. Our customer base tends to be very local. We have a traditional banking banking operation with a decentralized model, which means that all of our branches operate independent of one another. So although we're part of a much bigger bank and uh, we've got our own head office, we've got our own shared resources, each bank branch will have its own uh, client base. It decides how it wants to approach its own market, how it wants to be part of its local community. And it means we can make better quality, quicker decisions uh, when it comes to credit. 99% of the credit decisions we make happen in branch. And that's something that you don't typically see in banks nowadays. So our view is yeah. the closer we are to the customer, the closer we are to making those decisions, uh, the better we can be and the better our, our bank is. And this actually shows through to the overall credit perception of the bank. If you look at our external ratings, Handels Banking is the strongest bank in, uh, strongest commercial bank in Europe. And that's because we're very, very conservative about how we lend, quite traditional about our approach to lending. And it also means that uh, we manage things in branch. So if, if things go wrong, we have to manage it here. We don't send it off to another team to deal with our problems. We work with customers to get them through that. And as a result, our uh, credit losses tend to be uh, nominal. 
It's interesting you say about service because in the episode we recorded um, last time out, Ro, we talked about service and also about funding. And it was um, interesting that, that you mentioned service because when customers come to me as a broker, never once have I had which lender is going to give me the best service. That, that question never comes up. It's, it's strange because it should do. Because at the end of the day, you don't go and buy a clapped out old car. You go and buy a nice car that's going to get you from A to B in a bit of comfort and, you know, gives you almost um, the, the nice, easy drive to where you want to get to. And you don't mind paying a little bit extra for that. And uh, I know dealing with Handels Bank, and it, it does make a difference, the, um, the non-centralized model they have, because you can go to a, another bank and say, right, we want to do a, a we're talking to a Lloyd's a relationship manager based in London, for instance, and you want to do a deal for a customer based in Newcastle, but there's one credit policy, one set of rules, and that's what has to be adhered to. So having that non-centralized um, model really does work. And I think that is a big USB of yours. It's essential. How about the, uh, things like the operation, I mean, obviously like the credit um, control, your underwriting then takes place in branch. Assuming there's a lot of back office processes that then do get done sort of off, off site somewhere in a centralized fashion or is it is, is much of the operation most of it actually done in the branch as well? Most of it's in the branch. Okay, and and that's the thing that surprises. If you look at, if I looked at um, most of the things that we do as a bank, I would say more than nine out of ten. So maybe ninety-five out of a hundred things we need to do as a bank, we do in the branch. So whether that's managing payments, daily excesses, supporting customers with some difficulties they've got in terms of moving money around, um, our wealth management, our corporate banking, our private banking, it's all in branch. And that's the bit that I found quite interesting when I first joined the bank. Now, bear in mind, this is my sixth bank, and I'm used to having central teams doing things for me. But all of a sudden, I joined Handles Bank, and then all of a sudden, I've got to do it myself. So I'd say the first six months joining Handles Bank was probably the most challenging because you've got a lot you need to get yourself clued up on. Having said that, we're much more empowered to be able to make the decisions and to do the things that matter to customers. And that's the big difference. Having worked in many banks... And I've got a lot of respect for other banks that I've worked in. The number one challenge that relationship directors and managers will say to leadership is we don't feel empowered. And that also has an impact on your customer relationships. So it's not just about how you choose your customers, how you underwrite your deals. It's also about how do you make a difference day to day. Our customers will phone us up and tell us, I've got to make this urgent payment, but I don't have access to my, my, my system. I can't do this. I can't do that. And we have the ability to be able to do that for them pretty much on the spot. So we don't like to do it all the time. Obviously, we'd love our customers to be able to do what they need to do with the bank themselves. But what it demonstrates is where the private banking difference matters. All of our colleagues in our branches know the customers in that branch. We're not just one central office team that doesn't actually have that face-to-face -face relationship. If we get a call from customer A, chances are everybody in the branch is going to know who they are and everyone pulls together yeah. to support them. So decentralization is absolutely key to handles bank and model it's core to our culture and it's absolutely essential that we keep it in place as we have and two things you said there joseph that really struck a chord with me number one the centralized teams that 
the other banks use. And I remember where, when I was at Lloyd's and you had to ring up the Penderford Security Centre and you had to try and locate documentation and do all these things. And invariably, you know, there's some really good people there, but invariably you'll get passed from pillar to post and documents would go missing. They would have to be sent down from Birmingham. And it was an absolute nightmare. And in the end, you've just written the head of the Penderford Centre and say, look, I need you to do me a favour. Can you sort this out for me? And that's not the way it should be. It should be that you're in charge of your your own destiny and also the documentation that your your customer needs. The other thing you mentioned that was interesting was you have the wealth managers here. And right, we were talking in the last episode about your wealth strategy and how it's important that you look at your risk and your appetite for growth in a holistic view and having your bank manager and your wealth division in the same place and do and all talking to each other and doing this you know it's a joined up approach it makes the world of difference for your overall strategy in my opinion absolutely <clears throat> interesting i've got some more questions on the model as well then so um first of all mm-hmm. tell us about um you know your your typical client or, or customer um, for people who are taking out, out sort of lending or mortgage products, they need to be uh, a, a, an existing customer that handles banking or could somebody else come straight to you for a, for a mortgage, for example. And actually another question, which I should just, we should clarify is what type of lending products do you offer? Is it just um, term loans, mortgages, um, or, or do you do sort of development and um, bridging finance as well? So uh, in terms of a typical customer, there probably isn't one. Uh, but if I could give you, if I, if because the the, if I look at my own portfolio, it ranges anything from a sole trader, property investor, all the way up to a global corporate type business with offices all over the world and pretty much everything in between. Typically, we find if there is a sweet spot, it will probably be the mid-range uh, property investor where they've got rental portfolios, uh, but can be across uh, commercial and residential um, in various different structures. We've got husbands and wives, we've got sole traders, we've got corporates, we've got partnerships. So it really is a, a big range there. Um, if customers wanted to bank with us, they could just pick up the phone to the local branch. If you look on our website, type in uh, the postcode finder, type in your postcode and it'll tell you who your local branch is. You'll probably find they're closer to than you think. Um, generally hidden there somewhere, but they're closer. To, we like to be close to our customers. Um, Lending and deposits are a great way to start a relationship with the bank. Um, we're very happy to, uh, to talk to customers about any of their needs. Uh, in terms of products, it's pretty broad. I wouldn't want to go specifically into products, uh, but I would say is that um, our product range is uh, is on our website if you want to see the kind of stuff we're doing. Having said that, because I, I guess there's a bit of a leading point here, development finance for property is not something that Handels Bank can typically do. Having, uh, having said that point, though, uh, if the customer has an existing rental portfolio that can service a larger chunk of debt and they intend to use that those increased funds to develop, then we're open to talk about that. The key thing for us is we want to make sure the cash flows of the portfolio service the debt, and that's really important to us. Um, we are very happy to talk to people about their needs. Typically, we find that there's an alternative solution that maybe hasn't been thought about. And that's one of the benefits of having that close relationship. Makes sense. And I guess... Um, the only thing I would probably, probably uh, add to that... 
So the only thing to add that is if you think about a handle to anchor customer, our kind of motto is it's all about you. Customers are not just one individual uh, entity. We all have different hats that we wear in our lives. We're, we're parents, we're children, we're employees, we're bosses, we're, we're property companies, we're all these different things. And throughout somebody's life, they're going to have very different needs. And in some cases, very different needs at the exact same moment. So if you think about where you've, you've got your first mortgage, you're having a kid, you're thinking about retirement plans, et cetera, et cetera. There's quite a lot that customers need to think about in a relatively short period of time. And that can change quite rapidly depending on how their priorities might change. Let's say they have twins all of a sudden and all of a sudden they've got to figure out how they're going to finance that. So from our perspective, we don't look at customers as an individual idea. We look at customers in the round. Everybody has lots of different hats they wear in life and we shape our proposition around those customers depending on what they need throughout the course of their lives. That's very helpful. That makes that makes um, makes a lot of sense. So I guess from a funding perspective as well, which is a question I was going to ask, I guess you're effectively, you know, you're because you're a deposit taking bank. Funds that you lend out are effectively, um, you know, uh, in, a, in a traditional banking model uh, from from your own deposits. Yeah, absolutely. The bank, I don't know the exact funding model of the bank. It's outside my uh, my particular remit, I would say. But what I would say is the bank um, attracts a lot of customer deposits. Uh, we're a fairly traditional lender, basically. Conservative lending pod, uh, products. We uh, take in deposits. We lend out money. We move money around. We provide wealth management. That's what a bank's here to do. Great, great. Other than not providing development finance, um, are there any other sort of guidelines around the sort of things that, that, that you you know, categorically as a bank don't do that might stop um, someone going from one branch with a proposition across to another branch with, with the same proposition, hoping for a different answer? We try to avoid that, but it's a really good question. Uh, that's one of the things that we've had to address as a decentralised bank. You're absolutely right. Different customers may indeed speak to different branches. Um, our church spire model means that where that customer is registered is where they should bank. We believe we should be closer to our customers. If the customer goes to another branch, we need to communicate as a branch network. There has to be a good reason why that customer doesn't want to bank with, say, here in German Street. And one valid reason might be that the property portfolio is not on the West End branch uh, patch, if you like. And so they'll say, actually, right. I want to bank in Ealing, for example. We have a conversation about that between the branches and then there is an agreement that it can be looked at if that's the customer's wish in Ealing and the decision will be made there. Uh, what would stop a customer who had a bit of bad news from Ealing coming back to the West End branch? Um, they could certainly try to do that, but we are a bit more joined up around how we do this. Uh, in short, credit policies are summed up in three words. Don't lose money. Um, all bankers should be focusing on that when it comes to looking at any proposition. We are always looking where it's possible to support customers. So if one branch does say no, it's probably for all the right reasons because they are motivated to lend because that's that's the business that we're in. Uh, but if they can't do that, typically there's a very good reason for it. And that opinion would also be shared by other branches as well. And as a broker, passing stuff to Handles Bank, and that is definitely the case. You, you don't go to one branch and then to another because the answer you get doesn't suit you you know that there is definitely a joined up approach and they're, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet. It, it really is that way. Some lenders, some I've worked at in the past, 
you know, there's there's brokers who will go to one relationship manager and then when they get the, the wrong answer, they'll go to another one and then they'll try and get that through credit. And, you know, I've actually had it with a challenger bank recently. So I had a customer came to me, first time developer, um, well, refurber, came to me for a loan. I told him, oh, this challenger bank won't do that because you're a first time refurber. They, that is clearly against their lending criteria. We went with another lender, base rate changed, their rate went up slightly. They then went to another broker, spoke to the original challenger bank, asked them for a, a loan, and they somehow said, oh, we're going to forget that bit of credit policy for now, um, which they shouldn't have, got all the way through to, to the, the last point in the transaction, and now it's been raised by the underwriter, as it's in legals, that they haven't got the right experience. So these issues can be prevented when communication happens and people talk to each other. And Handels Banking is a joined up approach and it, it, it's very impressive that they work as a team and doing the right thing for the customer all the way through. So presumably things like rates and um, leverage limits, they're, they're sort of standard, standard presets then across, across the whole of the bank or is there... Is there any element of flexibility with with any of those um, from a sort of branch to branch perspective? It's it shouldn't be is the answer I'll give you that. I don't know if there's specific examples of it, but there shouldn't be one decision in a decision in one branch should be replicated and representative of all the branches. Uh, our motto is the branch is the bank, so your branch is the bank. So if that's the decision taken by that branch, that is the decision taken on behalf of the bank. If we don't do that, it undermines the entire credibility of our of our operating model, and we'll essentially have a, a peculiar situation of pawnbroking between one branch to another, which is simply not what we're here to do. Yeah, makes, makes complete sense. Um, and what, what is sort of... Um... Uh, I guess it probably isn't a typical loan loan uh, level, but what what um, what are your kind of maximum? Well, is there is there a minimum and a maximum when it comes to to, to your loans? Or the, I guess when you've got portfolio borrowers, um, there might be sort of upper limits on on the leverage. But just to give us a bit of a flavour and a guide of what um, our our listeners can expect if they were looking. Very happy to. Um, Handles Bank and probably fits into the post-development side of the property uh, journey, if you like. So typically we will come in and refinance that development finance at a more affordable rate because the cash flows of the of the property portfolio now services that debt and that releases that cash so they can go off and do other things. If there was a typical amount and I say every deal is on a case by case basis, um, it would be around about the 50 to 60% LTV on a residential portfolio. Um, it's very rare, very, very rare to see us go beyond that 60%. And the simple reason behind that is that the bank is not here to provide those more leveraged transactions. It's not really what Handles Banking is about. Uh, we see ourselves more on the conservative side of the lending, a long-term relationship where we provide uh, what we believe is a reasonable amount of debt for a portfolio. And um, the only thing to probably add, well, not the only thing, but something to add to that is where interest rates have had an impact on the overall cash flow of a property transaction that's no longer where it used to be. We're actually finding loan to value levels are coming down. It's not driven by security. It's entirely driven by cash flow. And that in itself is, is opening up some challenges for a lot of property investors that 
had a, a very good time, relatively speaking, because interest rates were so low. It's been a rapid mm. shift of interest rates. Um, where interest rates currently at the moment, we may have one more spike to go to 5.5 before things start to settle back. But what it's meant is customers have had to adapt very rapidly to that. Some have been proactive, some haven't, and some have been relatively quiet. And that makes life a little bit difficult when you're trying to support a customer through what we believe might be a difficult time for them. So what we're typically seeing is loan to value is not the challenge at the moment. The biggest limiting factor is cash flow, whereas that wasn't the case prior to interest rates going up. Very interesting indeed, and, and it makes makes complete sense. Would you say that the uh, majority of your um, the majority of your your sort of loan book then is will get towards portfolio borrowers? Um, I mean, what what's the rough split? And it'd be interesting to hear. How do you think, Mark, this compares to other lenders to split between sort of single proposition borrowers and, and portfolios? So our, our proposition would be, if I, look, if I looked at the, the branch balance sheet uh, here, because I've only got a site of our balance sheet, I'd say we've got a, it's a broad mix between personal mortgages or regulated mortgage contracts and portfolio um, lending, essentially. Uh, we do provide single asset finance but it is deemed to be higher risk and therefore we need to do more due diligence about that we typically see that that would come into play where you you may have a commercial property with a strong tenant or it might also be that the property is located in a fantastic part of london prime real estate and therefore we're comfortable with that as far as other single assets it is a case of carefully understanding what sits behind it but if i looked at our balance sheet you'd probably say you know, a good chunk of, of mortgages on the private side and the property lending side on the corporate. So, yeah, ask, answering your question there, Ro, about how does it compare to other lenders, I would say Handels Bank are the most relationship-driven and least transactional bank out there compared to the others. I think they want to have the relationship with the customer, the overall banking relationship and the understanding of the customer before they enter into transactions. you The challenger banks, I suppose, are the opposite with that. They, they never know who the customer is. It's all about doing one transaction after another. And it doesn't matter how who the customer is. It, it really doesn't matter to them. It's the opposite. So if you, you get the normal, well, when I say normal relation or normal challenger bank model, Imagine the opposite of that, and then you've got handles banking. And each, not every customer is the same, and there's different ways that they thrive and that they they need different services. So handles banking have a big place to to play in the the market. It really is important that there is a lender like that that is concentrating on the relationship and concentrating on the service levels, and coming up with the right lending solutions. I, I'm a big believer of not borrowing too much money, not maximum gearing, not over leveraging. And Handels Bank can try not to let their customers get to that point. They, they understand risk. And that, that's the most important thing when banking, understanding risk and understanding the customer. And I think some of the other lenders lose sight of that a little. Makes sense. Very good, very good. 
Um, what's your what's your general things? Just taking a step back, looking at the the overall market at the moment. Then, um, you know, on a recent recording, Mark and I discussed some of the macro events that, that have been taking place around us. Um, they've obviously been a, a big driver of the inflation and and the environment that we're in with um, with the rates as they are. But uh, what's what's uh, what's the handle handles bank and view? Of the world at the moment, in terms of uh, the outlook and, and and how you where you see the opportunities and threats. Great. Well, very happy to share my own view because uh, I I need to figure out the handles back view. My my view is essentially we're seeing quite a big change in the property market, and it's a story of two halves. On the residential side, it's different to what we're seeing on the commercial side. So I'll quickly deal with the residential market first. Um, we're still waiting to see how inflation and interest rates are feeding through into the residential market. We have seen strong rental growth as a result of interest rates increasing as those property investors are trying to generate cash out of their businesses. It's, it's providing a few challenges though. Businesses that are more proactive around this, that recognize that they need to address those structural imbalances in their portfolio in order to generate cash for the future, um, need to do so in a proactive way. And two ways they might look to do that. One of them is to, to sell some assets so their portfolio becomes smaller for the time being. And the other side might be about looking at how can they uh, use other um, funds to pay down their debt so they've got more of a manageable um, debt level relative to their income. We know that this is a temporary thing and that it will take time to uh, to get that balance right. Typically, when we talk to customers about this particular issue, we are looking to support them through that process. And a very simple way to look at that would simply to say, based on this portfolio, what is a sustainable level of debt? If we just wanted the portfolio to break even, so it won't fund your lifestyle, but it will break even. Is that where we start? And if we start there, how much do you need to reduce that facility amount down by? What do you need to do to be able to make that happen? And so we can work with customers to help them to do that. The other side to it is on the commercial element, which is around, uh, particularly here in the West End, we're seeing a lot of work around sustainability at the moment. Uh, everything headed towards uh, 2025 and 2027. And the key thing here is about addressing energy efficiency challenges. There are concerns yeah. about stranded assets because these these uh, commercial um, buildings are losing their appeal. Uh, and that's because tenants aren't interested in going into a building potentially that's got low sustainability credentials. We're now having lots of stories now where tenants, particularly in certain sectors such as financial markets, will not even take a property if they're not happy with the EPC rating of it. And so there's work to be done there. What does it mean in general across both retail and the residential and into the commercial side? We are most likely going to see a drop in prices. I don't think the drop that we've seen so far is as pronounced as it should be. If you look at where rates are going, you look at where the economy is going. So there's potentially a further fall to come through. But I think where the opportunities might be will be to pick up those properties once they start to drop, particularly in the commercial space where we've seen quite a big drop. Uh, give you an example. One of uh, a business I was looking at recently I saw a 40% drop in the value of their commercial property. And that's largely driven by the, the quality of the property where it hasn't necessarily been maintained exactly as you'd like it to be. And also uh, the sustainability. EPCs aren't particularly strong and therefore it's a rush to the floor on pricing. So 
even from a looking at prospective customers point of view these are things we will look at uh, so i would say for businesses it's about being proactive about these challenges being being realistic about what you can do about them and working with a bank or with advisors to basically get yourself ready to do that. Um, I'll just quickly, if I may, sustainability is a key, key part now, and it's going to have a much, much bigger impact on the property sector, particularly on commercial as we go forward. So it's not just about tenants and the economy and how much floor space we need. It's also about are those properties sustainable and are they attractive to tenants? Banks are keen to lend for green projects. If you look at a lot of the main high street banks and Hamlet's Bank is no different, although we're a, a private bank, sustainability is key and we want to support customers through that green transition. If they can do so in a proactive way, working with their tenants, such as introducing green leases, partnering up with them to make sure that they're able to make those changes to their portfolio and improve the quality of that commercial property stock, you'll probably find the values will hold. Um, the Savills quoted uh, very recent, uh, not too long ago, actually, it was last year, that there would be a 40% difference between buildings with a high energy uh, sustainability, uh, high sustainability credentials, and those with low. I actually think it's going to be wider than 40% because we've already seen that happen already. So that's going to be the major opportunity and the major threat. It will mean some players have to leave the market because they're not going to be on that journey. But those that are, I would say, get proactive and get talking to your banks about it and make sure you've got a good team behind you. That's very insightful and very insightful indeed. And actually, um, that's that's um, something that we've not talked about before, but I think the opportunities there are very clear. And I guess if we were to turn that around, um, how would you, uh, so for me as a property investor, somebody who's looking to buy assets and develop them, that sounds like exactly the sort of uh, assets I would be looking to acquire with a view to actually increasing the value. How would, how might Handles Bank and, uh, be able to help me as a borrower? Um, I think I understand that obviously the, the development finance angle I'd need to seek elsewhere, but effectively I would need to create that uplifting value by increasing the energy efficiency, investing that money into it. Is that the point at which I then would be the best time for me to come to you if I was looking to to get some term term lending on that um, once we've got a, a tenant in there? I think the bank would be is very interested exploring how we can support customers making those changes. So if you've got a you know mm. you've got a building and you know you need to do certain work to it in order to make it more sustainable, the bank would be interested to talk about that. Uh, there are talks about a greenium relating to sustainable lending. I think it may even be as much as 30 bips now and it's increasing, which is where um, you can see discounts on borrowing because you're using it to improve the uh, sustainability credentials of your properties. So there's a big opportunity there. Uh, the bank has just introduced a discount for green lending uh, for our customers because we've got key targets to improve our sustainability and our net zero journey. But more than that, because our branches have full discretion of pricing, we have no pricing committee or matrix when it comes to our corporate debt. If we wanted to discount the facility so that you could make those changes and such that the cash flow worked, then that would be a conversation between you and your, your banker. So from my perspective, I'm very excited about it because I come from a background where we look at head office to tell us how to do things and you know what product you're going to launch for us today and how you're going to help us to do it. When it comes to Handelsbank, we don't need that. We can draft the agreements how we want. We can put the terms in there that we'd like to see and we can price them exactly how we want to as well. So we don't actually need uh, another team to tell us how to do it. We're, in, we're already empowered enough to do it. The question is, 
proactivity. Customers really need to come to us to discuss it. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done around that because I feel that some are not on board with it. Some don't have the interest in it or the time or they just feel it's going to be a bit of a hassle for them. And I do feel to a certain extent, we're going to see some property investors exit the market. We're already seeing some of it in the smaller yep. side of it. But as it relates specifically to sustainability, we're expecting to see more people exit the market, um, moving property either to uh, family members who are younger, that have a bit more time, have a longer term view. But also the other challenge is where you've got a large portfolio that needs work because it's not particularly sustainable. It's not energy efficient. Um, dare I say, it is not an empire. It is a portfolio and it is better to have a better quality, smaller portfolio that driving cash flow for you with quality tenants than it would be to have a massive portfolio that has headaches all over it. And tenants where you, mm. you keep having to maintain the same rental amount because you can't increase it because they won't pay yeah. an income when their energy bills are going up, etc. Very, very interesting and good to good to hear your views on that. Um, certainly, I can see a lot of opportunities there. And uh, I think even, even with the changes in, in um, energy standards or energy efficiency standards that were announced just last week by the Prime Minister, I guess this doesn't really change that or that doesn't really change any of this because these are still changes that need to be made. And there is obviously a cost um, for having energy inefficient commercial buildings in, in the way that you've described. Um, so anyone who's listening to who's looking to offload any of those assets, then uh, I'm always happy to have a conversation. <laughs> and then obviously, perhaps I can have a chat with Mark and Joe about how we can we can fund such acquisitions. But that that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, I don't have any questions on my side. Mark, is there anything you want to? So, no, sort of I think quiz a bit further on. No, I think that's fine. I think uh, we could do a whole new episode on sustainability. I think that's a, a topic indeed we need to to address uh, more in depth. So um, I think that's it from our side. And uh, if you're happy, Ryan, we'll we'll call it a day. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Joe. That's been really, really insightful yes, and interesting to hear hear your views. And uh, and of course, we'll put your contact details as well. Uh, on the show notes so anyone can get in touch with you um but yeah myself and mark would just like to say thank you very much for for, for a really really interesting conversation and, and sharing sharing a lot of your knowledge with us today my pleasure thank you both thanks thank you that concludes another episode of show me the money podcast unlocking property finance Connect with us on social media where we share additional tips, resources and behind the scenes insights. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning and keep making those smart investment moves. This has been Show Me The Money, Unlocking Property Finance.